association with the Imagine Festival, the Chief Executives Club at Queen's University Belfast presents Investing Towards Biodiversity, Sustainability and a Net Zero Carbon World with Dr. Theodor Koryoyanu of Queen's University, Martina McPherson, Head of ESG Strategy, Auto BHF Asset Management, Professor Jill Atkins, Chair in Financial Management at Sheffield University Management School, and Dr. Ben Allen of the Institute for European Environmental Policy. Apologies for the technical issues that led to the loss of the opening of the conversation. And again, we will come to that a bit later. There are some prevailing challenges when and where, for instance, data is concerned. That's, again, deferring people from maybe making investment decisions in this area, maybe even understanding some of the key connotations. But again, increasingly, um, there's more interest, there's a drive, there's product innovation, and there's clearly an urgency, the next tragedy on the horizon, so to say, when and where ecosystem collapse is concerned. You know, maybe to highlight again, in the IPBES report from 2019, it was highlighted, you know, that one of a million of our Earth's 7 million to 10 million plant and animal species could face actually extinction in the near future. And we are seeing, you know, that um, ecosystems have declined by 47% over the last few decades. And uh, ultimately, that means um, global wildlife populations in line with um, what we are seeing in that ecosystem context have declined for over 60% in the last 40 years alone. You know, that these are sort of figures, the next tragedy on the horizon, that are highlighting on the one hand that these biodiversity issues shouldn't be overlooked. On the other hand, they highlight that they are very often interconnected with what we see already as physical climate risks in many different ways and shape and forms. And research has taken place in this area quite significantly in the last few years as well. And ultimately, from a financial services and capital market standpoint, um, we also see that these dev- devastating effects, these devastating results, um, actually could ultimately mean that the world's total gross domestic product, that's roughly 44 trillion US dollars, are actually at risk because they are highly or moderately dependent on the nature's ecosystem services. So that means, you know, we shouldn't just look at these losses in isolation. We should understand when and how they are connected to the implications of climate change. But beyond that, we should also understand that they have a significant impact on the long-term considerations of when and where and how investment as well as insurance considerations are concerned. And ultimately, um, it was also highlighted that focusing on climate action could deliver certain benefits, such as, you know, I think it was estimated 26 trillion in economic benefits through to 2030. There's still a lot of work to be done to estimate the same implications on the upside when and where ecosystem services are concerned. But we are consuming our world a few times over, as we know. And clearly, the upside in turn in understanding and addressing the nature urgency is something that's moving towards the fore and hence, you know, is being supported by what we see and hear of as the ecological transition. And ultimately... Yeah, sorry, uh, go ahead. But I I hear from you that there's a real concern on the the investment side. Um, And and 
trying to, to build on Jill's argument, you brought up financial materiality as a, as a key um, driver for companies and investors. Um, but equally, there's a lot of uh, perhaps financially immaterial or at least as of yet, uh, right, um, uh, biodiversity impacts. Uh, perhaps, right, companies are impacting certain species that um, no one is, is uh, monitoring perhaps actively or perhaps, you know, consumers and regulators aren't uh, always uh, paying a, a keen eye on. Uh, but I hear there's a lot of concern and willingness. And Martina, I would love to get back to you on actually, you mentioned the financial innovation and financial products. But before I do that, um, I'd, I'd love to bring in Ben uh, and, and perhaps um, talk a bit about the taxonomy and the, the financial, well, how, how the taxonomy looks at biodiversity and how the, you know, how does the EU taxonomy actually work? Um, and how does it incentivize a positive action, right, on, for example, biodiversity, uh, which to me seems uh, perhaps a different side than, you know, investors should be worried for biodiversity from a, um, you know, financial materiality perspective. But here in the context of the taxonomy is how can we invest in something that makes a clear difference to uh, biodiversity restoration. So, uh, Ben, yes, yeah, so how, how does the taxonomy think about biodiversity and how do we think about biodiversity indicators in general, as Jill alluded, uh, you know, we have so many species what would be a good working definition, you think, uh, of biodiversity and how to deal with it in the context of the taxonomy? Yeah, good question. And I think there's aspects of what Jill has mentioned and what Martina has mentioned, which are, which are super relevant to this. I think just to start with, to say that the taxonomy itself is about providing that clarity to investors on what is sustainable in this context. And I think one of the points that Jill mentioned was about identifying these particular pressures or species that are under pressure. Um, the way we build the taxonomy through the work of the platform is to identify where an economic activity has a particular impact on a given environmental objective or has the potential to really improve that environmental objective. So in the context of biodiversity, not all biodiversity is relevant for all economic activities. So there's that sort of hot spotting assessment that goes on and says well this this activity here can make a real material difference to this type of biodiversity in that context um, it incentivizes substantial contribution it's a particular phrase that we use within the context of taxonomy and that's framed more in the positive sense how do we improve the condition of these particular species these particular habitats these ecosystems where can we make a meaningful difference to that it's there are details below that, and it's about reducing pressures as well on those um, different species and habitats as much as it is about making them, uh, improving them in such a way. At the moment, we're, we're having a debate within the platform about what our headline ambition levels are for biodiversity. Um, I can't speak to the specifics of this, but like climate, we have quite a clear target articulation under the Paris Agreement. We know we want to get to 1.5 degrees. The EU is committed to net zero. We're committed to 50 to 55% emission reductions. All that's quite clear. We don't have quite that same articulation for biodiversity. And that's, that's a challenge, really, because we're setting off in a direction and we're trying to put in place criteria and metrics and thresholds to reach that destination. But we've not fully defined exactly what it is. And 
And that might seem odd, um, but actually it's quite a complicated thing to figure out because biodiversity, I think, as, as others have mentioned, is, is quite locally um, specific. It's quite diverse. So overall, we might have an ambition to uh, restore and improve all ecosystems globally. But what I do in my activity, very local to me, is very different to what might happen somewhere else in someone else's um, different activity. Um, what we're also doing in the taxonomy, I think this is relevant to the sort of impacting areas of the economy, is the taxonomy requires substantial contribution to one of the environmental objectives of the regulation. So let's say that's biodiversity. In doing that, you also have to do no harm to any of the others. So that's quite important. So when we pursue biodiversity, we must not also cause any harm to climate, to water, to circular economy or to pollution. And the, the flip side is also true. And I think this becomes particularly important in the context of how do we safeguard biodiversity when we're focused on something like climate. So in pursuing our reduction of greenhouse gas emissions or trying to increase our carbon stocks, we need to do that in a way that doesn't then cause any negative impact, significant harm specifically to, to biodiversity. So it catches biodiversity from both angles, really. Does that help answer part of your question? I think so. I, I think that do no significant harm criteria is really important to, to really contextualize substantial contribution as you cannot have one without the other, really, uh, which is this, right, these um, somehow sister reference points for, for each, um, for each uh, economic activity. Uh, the, the interesting uh, bit to me also from a European legislation point of view is that when it comes to biodiversity, there's quite a few, um, you know, pieces of legislation that come right from the water part, from biodiversity, from, you know, you have the, the, um, uh, the habitats directive, uh, the water directive, and they all touch, um, you know, to a certain degree, also pollution, if you think about the, the impacts of, of pollution uh, on biodiversity. Um, how, how can we deal uh, from a taxonomy point of view, although, you know, you know, not necessarily from a taxonomy point of view, but, but even conceptually with the interdependence between um, these environmental objectives? I mean, it's hard enough to get, to try to isolate a system. Uh, and then we're, you know, in our decision-making for policy, for investment decision-making, uh, as well as, um, academic attention uh, as Jill is leading towards conceptualizing these, um, what would be some, I, I suppose, some useful principles um, in your view so that we don't get distracted when you're trying to bring these dependencies? How, you know, how do you usually grapple with that? Yeah, it's, it's one of the things I, I love about working on this particular topic. And I think the first thing to do is, is just acknowledge that they are all interrelated. And because I think to not do that, we would miss we would miss those overlaps and we would make the wrong decisions when we, when we talk about investments and, and how we prioritize activities within the taxonomy. There is a risk though, when you say everything is interrelated, it becomes such a big complex insurmountable challenge. You then get lost in, well, how do we deal with it? So the, one of the ways we're trying to address this at the moment is recognize where our objectives overlap. So one obvious example is um, in the context of biodiversity and ecosystems, that will include aquatic ecosystems. The condition of water bodies is part of our water objective. 
So there's a natural overlap there. The condition of a water objective is linked to pollution. So there's an overlap there. And climate, you know, becomes relevant to some of the terrestrial ecosystems and, and so on. And you can draw many links in that context. So we're trying to focus on, well, what do we want to achieve for those objectives? And then, so in a very specific sense, what do we want to achieve for, say, biodiversity? Um, looking at bits of EU legislation, as you say, looking at the EU biodiversity strategy, identifying um, you know, particular targets, for example, and how that responds to things like the Convention on Biological Diversity, so sort of headline global targets, and then come back out of that very specific view and say, well, okay, from a financial perspective or from an activity perspective, you could do one thing and tick two or three different objective boxes. And I think that's the, that's the real trick for me in trying to make the taxonomy work as best it can and also be as helpful as it can to financial um, players. If they don't have to measure two or three things, they can just measure one thing, then that makes it a lot more streamlined, a lot easier to do. If we can articulate what those criteria are, then it means that it's, it's a lot more implementable in practice, I think. And that brings you into discussions around climate and biodiversity. Are we looking at nature-based solutions then? Are we, are we trying to focus investments in that direction um, and recognize that we're getting two outcomes from that? And it brings with it a whole series of sort of reporting questions on do you double count, all that kind of stuff, which, which comes into a more of a usability perspective, I think. That makes it really fascinating to work on uh, and also really hard. So <laughs> thanks a lot for that perspective. Um, um, and so uh, having said that, um, uh, Jill, you, you, you mentioned the challenges on carpeting reporting. We already have uh, two questions for you from, from the audience. Um, and then I'll take the audience's questions and I encourage others to post as we have another 22 minutes. Um, one question was, uh, is, is there any example of um, really good biodiversity reporting out there already or, or not yet? Uh, anything you've come across uh, from the corporate space that just really is just initial work and we can't really, you know, um, talk about best practice. That's one of the questions. And also the other question also just to you uh, was uh, whether the uh, extinction accounting framework uh, also has a way um, to deal, like how does it deal with a new species that we've just discovered and perhaps we're discovering every year, which I, th I thought it's quite, a, quite an interesting question. Um, okay. Um, in terms of illustrations and examples, I think Companies are improving in this area. Um, I think, you know, we, we did find some examples of um, toad accounting, for example, with one of the large mining companies where they actually reported, in my terms, um, emancipatory extinction accounting. So they, they recorded how many toads there were one year in the land um, that they were impacting on, and they showed increases in toad populations. Okay, so... It might be a tiny little example, but that's what I mean by a really, you know, changing, transformative type of extinction accounting. We've also seen the same with rhino accounting. There's some of the finance companies actually in South Africa, which is interesting. So, you know, in terms of um, practice, I think there is emerging um, practice, which is, is not just about impression management and shows real change, shows partnerships with the WWF, for example, very important for businesses now, I think, more than ever to partner with conservation organisations 
and ecologists and people who can actually help them because you know as Ben said this is so complex you can't deal with it um, just with accounting finance people one of our recommendations in the book that we're working on at the moment which we've almost finished is for organizations companies to have an ecological value officer to support the chief value officer, chief financial officer in an organisation, you know, to have non-executive directors, at least one, who actually understands the ecological issues. So, you know, there is practice. What I, what I didn't mention earlier is that um, two weeks ago, the Biological Diversity Protocol was launched, and I was the co-author of that. And it is the first standardised framework, really, um, in the world to to allow organisations to report in detail on biodiversity. And one of the largest um, companies in South Africa has been piloting that framework. It incorporates all of the ideas from extinction accounting and as well as um, providing a really, really strong basis for reporting on biodiversity and a toolkit for how to do that. It also um, presents a species accounting framework, which is very exciting because I think it, more than anything, that's been driven by the extinction accounting work. And um, a couple of the companies in South Africa are actually starting to report at a species level and exploring this. But they've said it's very challenging. It's very difficult. And as I say, you, you've got to identify species which are financially material for business. But then where there isn't financial materiality, you have to identify species which are being impacted on by the business and, you know, the level of extinction risk that they face, which we can use lots of data for from the IUCN, etc. So, I, I mean, I could keep talking about this, but obviously, you know, I'll give it back to you now because um, <laughs> I'll fill up the whole time. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad uh, we're getting so engaged. Uh, and, and so uh, uh, actually, I, I'd love to invite Martina to 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 continue this this train of thought, um, Martina, in, in in your expert opinion on uh, whether data that is coming out is fit for purpose for some investment products, uh, if at all. Uh, and I, I'd love for you to to continue the, the the thought you also started last time, which was, you know, what's the financial innovation that is now being spurred in uh, asset management uh, based off uh, biodiversity data and yeah, I, I, from a, a product management perspective, you've also launched, a, yeah, one of the, you know, green bond indices and, and you've pioneered a lot of these financial products. So how, yeah, how do you see this area evolving from a product innovation perspective? Um, also, I'm also keen to emphasize that these are jobs to be had in asset management and, you know, we are looking to create also jobs in data infrastructure uh, you know, it's not just the cost to a company that it has to do, but, but, you know, an opportunity and an, uh, um, mini ecological economy, right, to, to, to support these. So um, back to you, Martina. Absolutely, Theo. And these things, innovation and data in infrastructure and ecosystems uh, go hand in hand with financial decision making in our areas, you know. So maybe first of all, on the data challenges, you know, what we've also said in the book and what is known is that ESG data is one of the key challenges for our field. You know, they're inherent biases. May there be size biases? May there be conundrums linked to the fact that this information generally is reported annually by organizations, uh, that we lack the means to capture and track controversies at large, at real time. And all of these different sort of challenges definitely prevail. And that's 
um, exactly what I alluded to earlier on when we said, you know, that ESG data is a challenge and especially for biodiversity. But what I also would like to highlight are three, name three areas when and where we need further commitments also to make financial decision making more, um, more granular and um, more relevant and material in many ways. So first of all, we need strong biodiversity commitments from governments and from corporate actors. You know, we've heard from Jill, there are a couple of them that actually are now moving alongside the trajectory, coming up with very innovative solutions when and where species extinction accounting is concerned, when and where the, um, the, the active ownership, the engagement ele element with investors on biodiversity, natural habitat, and all species issues are concerned. But again, in order to address this tragedy on the horizon, which I highlighted earlier, we need more than just the multi-stakeholder engagement efforts. You know, in the moment we are talking a lot about commitments, but we need to actually move that towards actions. And we need to get a better understanding of what the operational, environmental, and social um, challenges are and how they also make a landfall within supply chains. We talked about the jurisdictional or regional context for biodiversity issues, and by no means is this fully understood if we look at organizations and their global supply chains. And that is also a data challenge, right? Because we might not get the same information on biodiversity issues when and where emerging markets versus developed markets are concerned. But even within the developed markets context, there's room for improvement. But hence, in order to close the gaps in the data value chain, we need to understand better how the corporate actors are prepared to go from commitments to actions and how the sovereigns in context are enabled and willing to engage, especially on issues when we look at, for instance, forestry and um, tropical forests. And there are great initiatives out there, IPDD, I should mention this, um, that is a new initiative by the WEF that AutoBHF um, has just joined to actually support the understanding and the information coming from emerging markets when and where uh, natural habitat and biodiversity is concerned, especially in countries such as South America slash Brazil. And again, without sovereign engagement with these uh, actors on the ground, you wouldn't even get sufficient insights, nor from the corporate, nor ultimately from the investor side. And hence, you know, obviously, um, collaborative engagement initiatives can only go so far without uh, the, the further commitments. Then briefly on the ESG data and sustainability information challenges, as said, currently we face now the conundrum that we get more alignment and harmonization of frameworks and standards, thanks to the work of the EU Sustainable Finance Action Plan, thanks to the corporate reporting dialogue and further alignment on the normative framework side. But again, the sheer volume of this big data requires more innovation and action, for instance, where technology is concerned. I'm just highlighting um, SASB is partnering with PwC and XBRL to tag non-financial information or extra financial information, I would classify it. I understand the European Commission has similar efforts in mind when they look at the digital strategy and when they look at a platform for harnessing this type of information and data. And this is becoming, from our end, and I've also written recently a paper on this, it's becoming a prerequisite in order to get the relevant insights we need. And then last but not least, um, ultimately, we need more action when and where these specific initiatives are concerned. And I'm very keen to hear more on the task force on nature-related financial disclosures, because as we said, as, as and if and when we can quantify financial impacts 
financial materiality and I would here say as well dual materiality. But once we can quantify the impacts, that's when and where we're getting you know more noticed by the financial services and the capital markets community, and that has really taken the climate risk and opportunities debate to the next level. So hence, you know, more consolidated action around really um, the current links for um, biodiversity and extinction loss and when and how they're making a financial impact is a prerequisite. And that brings me to the second point you highlighted, the financial innovation momentum. None of this financial innovation is actually in existence without the relevant data and information sources and without addressing the inherent biases that are highlighted and using technology as a strategic enabler, we would have challenges to get to a solution at scale. And so, you know, I just highlight a couple of examples here. Ultimately, biodiversity um, can be incorporated across asset classes, you know, across fundamental, thematic and factor-based strategies. Give you an example, at Odo, we launched last year, the Green Planet Fund, that's actually combining um, four thematic biodiversity themes and natural habitat or natural capital themes, I should say, for instance, clean energy, energy efficiency, sustainable mobility, preservation of natural resources, and ultimately capital. Uh, and it uses exactly the technology, natural language processing and AI ultimately to contextualize 4 million of different data pieces per day that are aligned you know, to these specific themes and topics. And we're looking at a broad range of 4,000 companies. And these artificial intelligence process allows us to actually drill down to an investment and an investable universe at the end of 200 companies that are strongly involved in the development, manufacturing, distribution um, of products and solutions with this type of environmental benefits. And that shows you here, we are trying to combine a thematic investment approach with a factor-based analyses, environmental factors aligned, by the way, with six of the 17 SDG goals, and then bringing in a combination of typical financial analysis factors, you know, may they be um, linked to um, assessing the quality business models, such as profitability, balance sheet, strength, cash flow generation, but also growth and valuation and stock market momentum with again, the environmental relevance of these type of investment choices. So really trying to balance financial and extra financial solutions. And that's just one way forward of showing an innovative investment process in equity that's actually enabled through artificial intelligence. And last but not least in the book chapter, we are also highlighting that the concept of uh, biodiversity solutions could be taken to the next level when and where sustainability-linked KPI-linked bonds, so fixed income instruments, are concerned. And we have actually undertaken the effort of mapping 50 biodiversity frameworks against what we've seen now as the new ICMA sustainability-linked bond framework that was launched in June 2020. And we are seeing here with the momentum in sustainable finance strategies, especially sustainable bonds and sustainability-linked bonds, which were estimated to reach maybe 650 billion this year alone, that we create a new momentum as well for these type of um, next-gen biodiversity strategies. And by no means, last but and least, I, I would encourage. Yeah. Sorry, I would encourage. I meant to say I would encourage uh, ev um, everyone to keep an eye on on your and Jill's upcoming uh, co-edited book. I understand you have a, 
31 chapters that it stands uh, today, uh, going through all sorts of uh, issues on the accounting and finance. So um, uh, yes, I I would urge everyone to 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 keep an eye on Martina's and, and Jill's uh, Twitter and LinkedIn feed on on when that is announced. Um, yeah, we, we've had an interesting discussion. Um, uh, well, we have many interesting discussions, but uh, something which uh, you, you made a point in, in actually talking also about member states, which I'm also going to try to also address to, to Ben. And there was this idea that from a data infrastructure perspective, but also regulation perspective, a lot of the way we deal with uh, biodiversity and protected areas falls within the remit of, um, you know, governments really. And so... Um, so, 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 so my question is going to be a merger between one of the audience questions as well as this perhaps angle on, uh, as we have many uh, people who are um, in government who are listening to us, um, to try to understand what's the opportunity for these public entities who might also want to raise, um, you know, finance to, you know, for the conservation and protection of, of, of these um, uh, you know, of biodiverse regions and hotspots. So, so one question is um, uh, that, that we got from the audience is um, whether the taxonomy, you know, it, you know, how does it really help attract investment in conservation, for example, is a question from the audience. Uh, so I'll, I'll, um, I'll leave this to you, Ben, to, to further clarify how, how, how it actually works. And I'd love for you, Ben, uh, I know we also only have seven minutes, really, uh, and there are many other questions uh, that, that we've got, but I'd love for you to briefly also perhaps make this case or, or briefly allude to, to the member states or, or, you know, how perhaps public entities could also look at the taxonomy uh, and understand how, how we can help them um, also deliver the uh, biodiversity uh, benefits uh, and then um, yeah, I would love if, if, if anyone, if you'd like at the end of your uh, talk, Ben, to, to just have uh, one idea that you'd like to put forward and then Jill and then Martina, if you'd like to put one idea expressed perhaps in 30 seconds. Uh, I did not brief you on this, but if there's something you've been thinking about and, and you'd like to let the audience know to leave with this, um, then I think we can achieve that in perhaps in six minutes. Let's give this, uh, you know, let's give us this goal. Um, ben, over to you. Thanks, Theodore. Um, if I can, I'll come back to my one idea after Jill and Martina, just to give me a bit of time to to think. Uh, in terms okay. of your absolutely, in terms of your question, um, so for just on the member states point specifically, you're right. So in the protection of biodiversity, the designation of areas that's very much an administrative um, sort of competence, if you like. Um, it's not really within the gift of a company to designate an area as protected. They can protect or, and, and change their, their approach to this, uh, to biodiversity. But I think what we know from certainly looking at the finance around climate and looking at what investments are needed for biodiversity as well, we need much more than what's in the public purse. So I think this is where the taxonomy and the private investments into this space become um, essential really to, to helping member states, to helping administrations in delivering on biodiversity. I think as we go forwards, we're going to find that the taxonomy, because of what it's doing, it's creating this standard, if you like, the taxonomy itself by definition, it will help then guide the way public investments actually work through public policy as well. It's not currently how this is functioning fully. Um, it's, it's focused on private finance, but I think we'll start to see that alignment in coming coming years and months. Um, 
in terms of how it can attract investments, I think, I think that comes from two different areas. And this is probably somewhere that, that Martina can speak to more than I can. But I think as funds and as the public opinion and view and interest on these different topics grows and grows, extinction rebellion, climate crisis, you know, a lot of this is in our media. I think when funds and investors are looking to badge their portfolios as green, they're going to need to find a way of doing that that's consistent. They're doing that, well, can do that through the taxonomy, through different standards. And I think that's going to start to capture the imagination of uh, investors to invest in these different spaces because of that opinion from the public. At some point, it's going to be the minority that are going to be the non-green, the non-aligned. Well, that's, at least that's what I'm hoping in, in the sort of longer term future. Um, perhaps back to you to cover the time and give me a chance to think. Absolutely. Yeah. So then I'll uh, maybe continue with... Uh, uh, let's go, uh, Martina, Jill, and then uh, Ben with the one idea that you'd love to to leave with 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 everyone. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we will get back. I we have a note of all of your questions, and uh, we 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 can hopefully follow up with further questions to to the audience that was uh, live today. So, Martina, over to you. Sure, my one idea: sovereign extinction bonds. That highlights the necessity and the importance to engage with sovereign participants on the issues such as ecosystem collapse and combines the ideas of what we are putting out there in the book to really map the different biodiversity metrics slash challenges versus existing bond frameworks such as ICMAS, KPI or sustainability link bond framework, but it applies as well to others use of proceeds bond also under the ICMA or under the EU GBS bond framework that is a wonderful idea and innovation uh, jill over to you thank you again i suppose really my message is the message of our book which is called extinction governance and um basically the the message is to implement a species protection action plan across every part of the financial markets across investor engagement financial instruments banking lending and in corporate governance itself and in accounting. So all of those aspects. And that's not just for in terms of governance for corporations, but also for government and public and voluntary sector as well and charities. So everything. That's a, that's a wonderful idea. Complimenting Martina's uh, bond idea. And uh, over to you, Ben. Yeah, I'm not sure I can follow those two excellent examples. I, I think from from me, from very much uh, how I observe the the whole taxonomy and the whole process around delivering for the environment, I would like to see us break from a siloed thinking around biodiversity or climate or water uh, and so on. I'm not quite sure how to do that, but I, I we have debates and they're always badged and named and split. And I think until we can bridge across those different environmental objectives we're still going to struggle to deliver on them um, as a whole or at least deliver on them efficiently well that, that is really a, a a wonderful way to to bring this all together so uh, i realize we have just one minute left so i'll, I'll try my best to to just uh, wrap up but we really um i'm i'm so grateful to you uh, um ben jill and martina we've really had a twitter force uh, going all the way from, uh, you know, from the EU taxonomy, uh, how it helps uh, drive investment, uh, you know, in 
economic activities that really make a difference to the environment uh, as intended purposes. We've heard from Jill that uh, we have uh, really innovative ways coming from the area of accounting, biodiversity accounting, as well as extinction accounting, to, to really understand at a granular level how corporates uh, manage the biodiversity uh, crisis. We've heard from Martina that investors are really interested uh, and there are many uh, innovative investors that are, um, you know, thinking how to structure uh, the flow of finance towards uh, economic activities that truly restore biodiversity. Uh, and we've had three excellent uh, ideas um, uh, that, that you've just exposed. Uh, so perhaps I can also perhaps um, suggest one on my side, which would be the idea of greenwashing, which which Jill also mentioned. I think we, we need to become wiser on how greenwashing uh, is manifested and be able to be a bit more critical on terms of not, not necessarily, um, uh, you know, cynic, but, but, you know, have a healthy skepticism uh, with respect to progress so that we don't get a false comfort in terms of, of progress. So um, th that would be perhaps my one added idea. But uh, with that, I would love to, I would like to thank the three of you uh, Martina, Jill, and Ben for, for your wonderful contributions. Thank you to Robbie, the Chief Executives Club, and the Belfast Imagine Festival. And last but not least, um, I'd love to thank to all the participants that have joined us live today for the, their excellent questions, which we will get back to uh, further. Uh, and so with that, we will conclude our webinar today. I've certainly learned a lot, so thank you so much to you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. For more on this series, subscribe to Queen's University Belfast's Shaping a Better World podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.